Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning. How you guys doing? Welcome to LifePoint. My name is Andrew Garcia. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and welcome to our summer series, Summer Playlist. Um, Over the last several weeks, Uh, We've been hearing the soundtrack that has been on the hearts of several different speakers, and it's been incredible, so if you've missed any of them, please go back, uh, podcast, uh, SoundCloud, Facebook Live, check them out. I promise you, you'll benefit from it. It's been incredible. Now, to start us off today, I want to do some crowdsourcing, some crowd participation. Are you guys good for this? Okay, okay. That was a little weak, but that's okay. We've got this. I believe in you. So, so I need you to work with me here. If you can relate to the question that I ask, I just want you to raise your hand and, you know, just kind of keep it up as we work through some of these questions. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. How many of you would say that you feel maybe anxious pretty consistently? Just raise your hand. Okay, keep them up. Keep them up. Now, 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 how many of you guys feel tired pretty consistently like and, and here's 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 the way to kind of help you out a little bit maybe you're like nah bro okay you need coffee energy drinks and supplements to get you through your day right now take a look around real quick everybody kind of soak that in for a second okay now now here's the next one how many of you guys have goals and hopes and achievements that you're currently hustling and striving to make happen okay okay Take a look again, real quick. We're all kind of in the same boat here, right? Now, now here's, here's what's kind of cool. You can put your hands down. But I asked a total of three questions, and they touched almost everyone, if not everyone, in this room. And here's the kicker. Because even when we seem to find rest physically, there seems to be an inner unrest spiritually. Okay, now I want you to dwell on that for a moment. Because the question is, what on earth is happening to us? Like, like did, you, did you know that while America is one of the wealthiest countries in the world, it is also the unhealthiest country? You see, too many of us live our lives in an energy-deprived state. I was listening to a Gallup poll or reading a Gallup poll, and it said most men and women are walking around in an energy-deprived state. According to this poll, 40% of Americans get less than seven hours of sleep on a consistent basis. And what's interesting is our levels of anxiety have never been higher. Our, our, our depression rates are rising. Mental health issues are rising. Suicide rates have risen by 30% since 1999 and by 70% among teens. That's skyrocketed. 45,000 Americans kill themselves every year. 72,000 Americans die from opioid addictions. Life expectancy is falling, not rising. We are in a valley of unrest. And the solution to our unrest is not going to be found in some scientific study, in some miracle med, in some philosophical undertaking, because it doesn't rest in the hands of men. Our problem is not a physical problem, it's a spiritual problem. 
And when I was preparing for this sermon, it, it was such a struggle for me because lately for me in my life, as I have been experiencing a restlessness, the words don't really roll off my fingers as easily as they used to. And, and what I feel like God has been trying to show me in the imbalance, in the tension of the imbalance of my life is something that exists in so many of our lives. You see, we have a poor relationship between work and rest, between physical work and spiritual rest. And that's important to understand because when I say rest, most of us think physical only. Don't we? Like, like most of us think about, you know, our bodies and our beds. And I get it because there are few relationships more sacred than that. <laughs> right? Those soft pillows, those clean sheets, unless you got a dog, it doesn't work that way. Right? The, the, the plushy comforter, it's a safe place, that, that judgment-free zone where you can be you and hang loose. Right? You're always kind of plotting your return or trying to steal more time. Nothing is like the rest found in our bed at home. Yes. <laughs> You're awesome. But what's interesting is that isn't there usually this ritual that we engage in to undertake and experience good rest? Like there's a ritual that we plan out and execute in order to fully enjoy our mattress. Like first off, most of us have worked a long day. Right, or maybe you had some time, you squeezed in, you know, some, some cardio, pumping some iron. And in Texas, and then in the Texas heat, bro, when you get in your car, or when you're just walking, like right now, from the Kids Point building to the front of this building, right, sweat starts to build up in every godforsaken nook and cranny <laughs> around, in us and around us. And so we have to do that pre-rest wash ritual, right, to get all the grime off, because it feels nasty, you have, to, you have to brush your, your, your beautiful pearls, maybe moisturize your hairy calves, right? Drop the temperature down to some arctic conditions, pick out your favorite jammies, and then jump into bed ready to slay some sleep. There's nothing like the rest found in our nest. But what do we do? What do we do? When we get a night's, a full night's worth of rest and still wake up with an inner unrest. Because we all know this happens. Why, why does this happen? How can this happen? How can we go to sleep and experience rest and still wake up in distress? That inner rumbling, the inner churning, right? That mental fatigue that becomes this physical weight that we carry and drag throughout our day. This is a tension that I have been struggling with in my life over the last several months. And it's weird because we do good work, right? Like I, I, I've been doing good work, accomplishing good things, getting big tasks done, working on relationships, working on inner struggles, and yet I still find myself restless in my progress, restless with my life. And what's interesting is that when restlessness is left unchecked, it sours into discontentment and bitterness and anger and jealousy and rage and rivalry begin to stir up in our heart. 
And I know, I know, I know, I know I'm not the only one who feels the struggle and the weight of this. That inner struggle that we have, striving to prove ourselves, a desire for more, a push for better, to become greater, to, to be something, do something more. And it's in this space that I found God sitting quietly in the corner of my soul, waiting for me to just listen and shut up. Because it's in the silence. It's, it's embracing, it's when we embrace the solitude where God gave me a solution. The invitation to enter into his rest. Let's look at this passage, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And it'll be on the screen. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. Now this is such a potent passage, and, and, and before we move on, I just want you to circle Sabbath or just remember it, because we're going to come back to that. But the first question that you have to ask yourself in this passage is, why on earth did God need rest? Now, come on. God resting doesn't imply that he was weary from labor. You see, he was soaking in his finished work. He was soaking in his creation. And this hints at the very purpose of, of, of his creation, that we have been created for his good pleasure. And to rest is to understand that his work is done. You see, the good things in life, the good pleasures of life have, have always been God's idea. Rest was God's idea. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 at the very end, 30, verse 31, and then we're going to dive into Genesis 2, just, just the first uh, two and three verses here. This is what it says. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And the message that we have to pull out from this passage is that work has never been the problem. And come on, you know work isn't even your problem. Man, we know how to work, right? We're the most overworked culture in history. And work has been around since the beginning of time. We were created for it. So what's missing? Rest is missing. You see, and here's what I would propose to you today. That our restlessness is a result of our misplaced identity. You see, like me, we've bought into an ideology called expressive individualism. This idea that identity is self-prescribed. And traditionalist societies, they, they used to acquire, you know, the meaning of life from the family and the role that they played in the family. And so work was just a means to an end. But we're the first culture in history to say, no, 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 no. You 
define yourself. And so we've created this outward expression to value, to showcase our importance, to express to others our significance. We've sold ourselves out to this idea called meritocracy. And David Brooks, who's a New York Times political writer and columnist, um, breaks it down this way. He says, the lie of meritocracy is you are what you accomplish. The myth of meritocracy is you can earn dignity by attaching yourself to prestigious brands. The emotion of meritocracy is conditional love, that you can earn your way to love. The anthropology of meritocracy is you aren't a soul to be purified, you're a set of skills to be maximized. And the evil of meritocracy is the people who've achieved a little more than others are actually worth a little more than others. You know that this resonates with you. Because we've bought into this lie, we've stripped our souls of value and we devalue human life because no life matters more than ours. You see, it's all about our goals, our dreams, our accomplishments, our hustling, our striving, our seeking to provide that have become the sole focus of our lives, leading us to dead ends in our souls and fragmenting us from those around us because the pursuit of self-fulfillment was never the intent of our design. And we feel the weight of this, the, the psychological, the emotional, and the social pressures are so crushing because significance is always a moving line. Because when you complete one goal, you're on to the next. And when you complete that goal, you're on to the next. Achievement is a staircase that we're constantly looking to climb. And so for work to be fulfilling or for it to be lucrative, it becomes a moving target in our lives. And David Brooks states this, states this problem like this. He says, the unrooted man is the adrift man. The unrooted man is the unremembered man because he is uncommitted to things. Freedom is not an ocean you want to wade in. Freedom is a river we need to cross to plant and commit ourselves on the other side. And it's because of this constant treading in the oceans of freedom that we find ourselves where we are, that we've yet to realize that the rest that our soul needs is found on the shore, anchored. And so our striving is unsettling and our loneliness continually lingers and our hunger for more is never satisfied. We're a detached culture. We're an isolated culture. We're lonely. And even when we seem to find rest physically, it doesn't seem to find us spiritually. And that's because the abiding human problem that we can't escape is hidden somewhere deeper. It's in the soul. And the part of us that desires to prove oneself comes from the inner man, the soul. The place that needs to be rooted in identity is the soul. And this means that while we need rest from physical work, we need to put our soul to rest from the need to prove itself. You know, we, we hear that small voice. A little more. A little harder. Push a little harder. Accomplish this. Accomplish that. Constantly nitpicking. What we're facing is not a physical 
issue. It's a spiritual hole, and it will not be solved with physical solutions. We have never been more in need of rest and had less time for it. We're not, we're not alive to make a name for ourselves. We don't have to prove our value. It's not based on what we can produce, and so we have to stop striving to prove something to others or to ourselves. Like, it's crazy the amount of work we will go to to prove our worth. Right? Like as believers of, of Christ, we, we make religion legalistic and we set rules and create disciplines and we beat ourselves up or others up over the head when we miss them or we strive to do good works so we can get blessed from God or, or have his attention. And from a secular perspective or a non-believer's perspective, we look still to acquire, to surpass, to achieve, to bring awareness to our name, to give us a sense of purpose and both are futile attempts because setting standards and setting goals are not the issue. The soul is working so hard to try to remind ourselves that I matter, that I'm important, that I'm making a difference. And the problem is our doing will never be enough because when today ends, tomorrow begins. And we can't rely or rest on our own works. And this is where Jesus enters the picture. Because it's only through Jesus that we can find real, deep, and satisfying rest. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. In other words, Jesus is saying that the only way to find true meaning, to find true life, is through and in me. And only there can you endure the pressures and the stress that you're going to encounter in the world around you without being broken open. Because I am restless, and you are restless, and our soul needs restoration, and it's found in an invitation from Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off the heads of grain, rubbing the husks in their hand, and ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, Why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus replied, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. We have to consider who Jesus is talking to in this passage to fully wrap our minds around what is being said. You see, the Pharisees were all about liturgy and rituals and following them to a T. They were all law and no love. 
Like they were all about the details of how ceremonies should be observed, how public worship should take place, how rites should be carried out, how the law of Sabbath should be followed. And Jesus is looking to set them straight spiritually. See, because the passage that Jesus points back to is actually 1 Samuel chapter 21, where David is on the run for his life. And so he eats the bread, the show bread that's in the tabernacle. And you see, this bread had been set apart, and you weren't supposed to eat it. It was a big religious no-no. It was against the law because it was part of their worship. Yet David eats, eats it, and nothing happens to him. Because if you pay attention to the Old Testament, when you break the law, you usually die. <laughs> And this is where we have to consider the implications of what Jesus is trying to say. Because if worship regulations and the law of the Sabbath could be set aside, then what does this mean? You see, the law has been given to us or to them to consecrate them to God. The law was given as a placeholder. It was meant to point to something bigger, someone greater. It was always meant to be temporary. And here Jesus declares, I am the one that the law has been waiting for. I have arrived. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one that the, the Sabbath has been pointing to. And when you consecrate your soul, you've been consecrating it to me. I am the place of deep rest, of spiritual rest for your soul. You see, the laws weren't made to rule over their relationship with God. They were meant to keep them in relationship with God. And they missed this point because they were so, so consumed with what to do on the Sabbath instead of why they did the Sabbath. And when we can't put down what we're doing, what we're striving for, then it's a, it's, it should bring awareness to us that we're floating, that we aren't anchored that there's something wrong with our soul and there's an awareness that needs to be woken up to in our heart because you can't rest unless you understand that God has completed the work. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work just as God did from his. This is what it means to become a Christian, that we can look at our life the way that God looked at his, that through Jesus, we can look at our life and say, it is good, that there's nothing else that needs to be done, that all the work that I need to do or accomplish has already been finished in Christ. You see, as Christians, this is where our life pivots when we decide to follow Jesus. Because our life is no longer about our performance. The soul's longing to prove itself. No, no, no. Now we can recognize that we have weight and worth through the finished work of Christ. I want to read you an excerpt by Judy um, Solovit. From, she, Solovit, she posted it um, on the New York Times, and she called this Bring Back the Sabbath. And I just want to read you a small portion of it. She said, and, and not even our group leisure activities can do for us what Sabbath rituals could once be counted on to do. Religious rituals do not simply exist to promote togetherness. They're not designed, they are designed to convey to us a certain story about who we are. 
The story told by the Sabbath is that of creation. We rest because God rested on the seventh day. We rest in order to honor the divine in us. To remind ourselves that there is more to us than just what we do during the week. The Sabbath provides two things essential to anyone. Time to contemplate and distance from everyday demands. The Sabbath is to the weak what the line break is to poetic language. It is the silence that forces you to return to what came before to find its meaning. How is it possible with Jesus? You see, we have to remember verse 5 of of Luke 6 where Jesus declares, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. You see, when he says this, he ticks the Pharisees off. Because what he's claiming in that moment is that I invented the Sabbath. I fulfill the Sabbath. In that moment, he's actually claiming I am God. And it ticks him off. And so they decide to go ahead and crucify Jesus. And the craziest thing is that in the crucifixion on the cross, they actually make him Lord of the Sabbath. Why? Because what do we see happening to Jesus on the cross? He's crying out. He's writhing. He's restless. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 20. But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest whose waves cast up up mire and mud. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What is happening in that moment? on the cross is that God has made his son experience eternal restlessness because that's what happens when we turn from God. We can't find the rest that we need. And right before Jesus turns over his soul, what words does he utter? John chapter 19, verse 30, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What's finished? Everything necessary for proving oneself. Jesus came to live the life, the perfect life that neither you nor me could live, to pay the penalty penalty of sin that neither you or I could ever pay. To be a Christian is to rest on his works, not mine. It's to accept what Jesus has done on our behalf and walk and live in the freedom and the rest of his finished work. Which means that the weight of self-contempt, the weight of discontentment, of bitterness that we carry, that we can't seem to get over, that we can't ever be enough, do enough, make enough, in that moment all human working has been pinned and nailed to the cross. So we wouldn't have to walk through like trying to prove our value or our worth. Jesus fulfilled the requirement of the law in this world to give us new life in God. And you can't enter into Sabbath rest until you've accepted this truth as your own. Because until Jesus is Lord of your life, No amount of vacations, no amount of free time, of of hangouts with the buds is going to fix that hole. 
is going to help you find that rest. So the question becomes, if we have then accepted Jesus as Lord of our life, then how do we enter into rest? How do we do this? How do we embrace the Sabbath in our lives? We have to begin to learn how to embrace the rhythms of silence and solitude. And you can do this two different ways, and I would recommend doing it for one daily. There's, there's some daily steps that you need to do each day. And then there's also some intentional rhythms in, in the seasons of your life that you need to plan out and schedule ahead of time to create a reset in your soul with God. And, and, the, and the first one is easy. The first one is something that we can all do daily. It's worship. Of course you'd say that. Worship is the expression of adoration. It's praise and love to the one who you adore. When it comes to God, one of the easiest things to do is to just pop on some worship music and thank him for the breath in your lungs, the life you get to live. We have been liberated from bondage. And in worship, we get the opportunity to express that. It's in Jesus that we're truly free. The second thing is something that we can again do daily. Prayer. Pray, pray, pray. It's one of the easiest things to do and at the same time, we pass it up all the time. We're too busy for it. But if you aren't communicating with God, how is he supposed to guide and direct your life? How is he supposed to give you encouragement to help lift that weight off your shoulders if you're refusing to communicate and to talk with him? How is the Holy Spirit, God's present within us, supposed to help us make right decisions, right choices, if you haven't given him the opportunity to speak to you? Each day, we need to be willing to let Jesus take the wheel. It's a good song. In prayer, we say, I remember, I surrender, you lead the way. The third thing, something that you would do maybe weekly, monthly, scheduling it out, advocational Sabbaths, where you do an activity where you soak in the beauty of God's world. Now, now maybe for you that's bicycling, maybe for you it's fishing. I hate fishing, but if you like it, good for you. Maybe it's kayaking, it's hiking. The point, though, is to get into God's world and allow the beauty and the majesty of what's around you to remind you of how small you are and how he's holding you in his hands. The fourth thing is we need to have completive Sabbaths. We need to take time to reflect on God's goodness in our lives. We have to take time to take inventory of his grace, the fulfillment of his promise in our lives. And this is as simple as, as journaling, as, as blogging, drawing. But you need to take time to soak, to sit back 
to soak in your life and to reflect, God, where are you moving and how have I missed it? Or this is where I've seen you moving and I need it to remind me of what you're doing. The great pianist Vladimir Horowitz, I think that's his name, once asked how he could play so beautifully. And he replied, the notes anyone can play, but the pause between the notes, ah, that is where the music lies. The music made in our life comes from the spaces in between, the spaces of rest, the pauses. That's where restoration is found. That's where God's holiness can be felt. We have to stop pursuing the what of life and begin to remind ourselves the why. The gospel of work is always going to lead us to empty places. You will never be enough. You can never do enough. You see, and so many of us understand how to get physical rest, but we don't know how to find spiritual rest. And what's ironic is that just like physical rest, spiritual rest takes work to get. Rest in God requires work on the front end to experience him on the back end. That's the way work works. You reap what you sow. But when it comes to the rest of God, while you'll have to work to rest, the rest will be worth the work. Let's bow our heads. Today, right now in this room, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you feel restless in your life, if there's this inner turmoil, if you feel like you're constantly trying to prove something to the world, Nobody's looking around. Would you just raise your hand before the presence of God? Hands are going up everywhere. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Go ahead and put them down. Maybe you're in this room today and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said yes to following him, but man, everything you've tried is not working and there is a restlessness that you feel day in and day out. And today you're ready to say, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. Today, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to experience Sabbath rest. I want to experience the deep REM of the soul that's only found in you. Would you just raise your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Put your hands down. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, today... There's a crowd that stands before you, God, who is tired. We've been working, we've been striving. Some of us are even doing really good things, and yet we look back on the work and we are just so, it, there's a sour taste in our mouth. We feel like it's not enough, and today you're here to remind us that it's not about our work, it's about the work that you've done that you've accomplished, that our worth isn't measured by what we can do or what we can produce, but that we are already favored and already children of the king of the universe, the creator of the world. And that while we still need to work, it doesn't have to drive us or enslave us or take our lives over. 
that we can begin to experience and see the world and our work with fresh eyes, with a new perspective, with new hope. Thank you for what you've done. In your name we pray, amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.